What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is r slash Tales from Tech Support. Yep, it was a little chilly and breezy here today. Great motivator to get some more yard work done. Feeling pretty good. Hopefully, it'll be a nice long fall. I'm not really ready for winter. I don't like extremes. I don't want winter. I don't want dead of summer. Fall and spring. If we could just bounce between those two all year, I'd be set. But, eh, pipe dreaming. Reopening a closed ticket with new issues. In a tier 1 support role, I used to use a robust ticketing system for all kinds of issues. The ticket system would allow users at any time to reopen a closed ticket, for example, 8 months later, and the technician wouldn't get an email or any kind of notification. You can already tell this isn't a great thing to have. One day a ticket comes in, user requests server access for another user, no biggie, reach out, map the drive, confirm user has access. Ticket closed, life is grand. Next day, ticket reopened with the issues not relating to the file access, like at all. Five programs either requested or not working. User sends me an email, as I didn't know she reopened the ticket, and claims programs are not working and that I need to rectify this. Email conversation goes as follows. Me. Hi X, is there a ticket in? I'm not available for the next while, so I won't be able to look into this for a bit. User. I put a ticket in at 11.15. Time she reopened it. Only half the ticket was completed, the server access. Me. Hi X, I finished a ticket for the user yesterday and it only requested server access. Is there another ticket? As I see you reopened the server access ticket and the issues you described were not listed. User. I reopened it. Me. So you can't reopen tickets and continue to add new issues to an already resolved issue. If there's an issue with what was done or the previous issues, then please let me know. Otherwise, you have to submit a new ticket for new issues. So sure enough, they properly submitted a ticket and the various things she wanted done were actioned. Not a bad story, but more frustrating seeing this all the time until moving to a better ticketing system. Yeah, I've never dealt with ticketing systems myself, but I could see where that would be frustrating. In my retail business, I go through this for events and things like that with email chains. If things are related, if we're talking about an event for, you know, some Christmas bazaar or something, and the same user keeps emailing me in the chain, in that, you know, we respond to each other back and forth, that's perfectly fine. If a new event comes up or some new conversation that's not related to that one, I'd really prefer a separate email chain. And uh, too many people, I'll get a weird email, you know, a year down the road, and when I first glance at it, when I'm skimming through my emails before I even open anything, it looks like something that we talked about, you know, a year ago. It doesn't look like a new subject or anything like that, so... Yeah, I can see where that would be a little weird and tiring, but anywho. Impatient user fixes her own work PC. This was almost 20 years ago when I was a local IMO at a U.S. Army base in Germany. We had about 400 plus users, and I had 7 to 9 help desk personnel. A little remote capability, mostly push updates, scanning, and such. Well, I get on average 15 to 25 help desk calls a day and pass them out to my guys in the morning and I also do some of the calls. But like any help desk, it takes time to get to everyone. We were using Windows XP Pro on all our machines and had restricted admin access to only help desk personnel. I have three calls that I'm working on and have to physically go to the PC and work the issues. My third call I get to at about 10.45 hours. Was a boot issue, most likely a corrupt win.exe file. So I go to the user's PC and she says that she's fixed it but can't get to her files. I take a look at her machine and notice the login screen is gone. WTF? 
and it's going straight into the desktop screen, except this is not a Windows XP Pro desktop. It's missing all the Windows app suite, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, etc. I go into settings and see the Windows XP version and lo and behold it's Windows XP Home Edition. I pop the disk tray open and there's a Windows XP Home Edition disk. I ask her where this came from and her response was one for the ages. After she left a message about her PC issue at 7.45 that morning, she waited around for 30 minutes and she decided to fix it herself. So she went home, she lived on base so it only took 5 minutes, and got her Windows XP Home Edition disk. Since she had rebuilt her home PC, she thought she knew what she was doing, and since the PC in her work office was restricted to admins only, she thought it was a good idea to reinstall Windows using her disk. Well, she booted from the CD and installed the Windows XP Home Edition over top the Windows XP Pro Edition and completely wiped and reformatted the drive. All the data and apps were gone. This infuriated me. I jumped down her throat, telling her that she violated every term of her user agreement. She didn't think it was a big deal. She couldn't understand why I couldn't just find her data and files. I told her that everything was gone. We didn't have a separate or remote backup. Everyone was supposed to do a weekly backup to a disk or a CD, which she didn't. As the IMO, I had the authority to suspend users' access to the network, and I promptly did so. She not only had local access with no network or email or even network printer access, I informed her supervisor of her suspension due to her violation of the user's terms of agreement, and he complained that she can't do her work without network access. Which I replied, that's his problem, and I explained it like a taxi driver has their license suspended for cause. They can still get in the taxi, but can't drive it anywhere. Of course, he didn't like that I suspended her and went to the commander and said I was being unreasonable. The commander contacted me and asked for the reason, and I told him why. He said he could order me to reinstate her, and I told him, yeah, you could, but I would refuse and resign and go back to the States. I was a GS-11, and he couldn't stop me from doing that. I asked him if it was worth losing a GS-11 over a clearly incompetent and clearly in the wrong GS-6. I would have also told my higher HQIT people in the Network Signal Battalion the issues so they would have leaked it to the higher chain of command and caused them a hell of a bunch of trouble. He backed off and her suspension stayed in place. I reinstalled Windows XP Pro and all the apps on that PC that afternoon so she could still work without network access, but when she needed to print or send files, she had to download to a 3.5 disk and give it to someone, and they had to do the print or send the files. Her suspension was for 45 days, but she was also required to do some remedial computer training at the computer training lab next door, which she never did. So her suspension stayed in place. At the next staff meeting, I told every staff officer there that the computers are U.S. government property and not to be tampered with to fix an issue. I also informed her supervisor in writing that I expect her civilian evaluation to be noted of her failure. But this was all for naught, as she quit about four months after the incident. So now I tell people the story as my worst user ever. You know, I often say that it's appreciated most of the time when people try to diagnose things and take care of the simple stuff themselves. Uh, you know, goofy stuff that you could probably figure out even back then with Windows XP. Um, I take that back. Some people should never try to diagnose anything, even if it is simple, because they'll run home, grab a totally different operating system disk, and uh, wipe their machine. Bad idea. When Excel isn't just a database, but THE database. A little story from an old job. Not strictly a tech support tale, although I was unofficially first-line tech support. The guy that knows how to fix stuff before they call IT. Like every office, we had an Excel database. It didn't have a name. It was just called The Database. We also had a real database, our company's enterprise system, but that had its own name, DMS. 
DMS was rather fickle, and the server crashed quite often. One day my colleague got the usual couldn't access the database error. Rubbish, she retorted. I've just been in the database. Look, it's working fine. And opened the Excel database to show us. I think of that day every time an Excel database is even mentioned. I don't do much work with databases. I do a little bit of Excel spreadsheet stuff. Never tried to use one as a database. I've just seen other people do little things with them. I guess a similar situation in my world would be when we're raking leaves for the fall and I tell my kids to go get me a couple rakes and they bring back hard bow rakes instead of the wire leaf rakes. Half the time, even if I tell them to get me a leaf rake, they still bring me the bow rakes. I'm not sure why. Somehow in their brain, all tools are the same. If I tell them to get me a pair of pliers, they get me needle nose. Like, that's their standard go-to. If I tell them to get me channel locks, they get me vice grips. There, I guess there's some thought process going on there, but eh, they'll learn eventually. How not to scan, or scanners don't work that way. So a few, ten or so years ago, I was working for an MSP that specialized in the healthcare industry, supporting doctors, etc. in their private practices. The boss supplied new hardware to one of the doctor's offices a few days before I started, and I was called by one of the three or four receptionists who was struggling with their new scanners. The Fujitsu FX6000, I think. Her. It doesn't scan no matter what I do. It doesn't scan. Me. Is there an error message? Her. No, it just says insert paper. I don't put paper into the scanner. I only put it into the printer. Can you see where I'm going with this? Me. So you put the paper into the scanner and then hit scan. Her. No, I don't put paper into the scanner, only the printer. Me. Aren't you scanning paper? Just put that into the scanner and hit scan. Her. No, I don't put paper into the scanner, only the printer. Me. Okay, how are you scanning before we change the scanner for you? Her. I don't understand. Me. Hey boss, can I go to doctor's office? I think I need to see what the hell she's talking about. Boss. It's just up the road. Get out of here and go talk to her. She's not the brightest receptionist we support. A 7 to 10 minute drive later. Me. So what are you scanning? Her holding a wad of paper. Just this. Me. Okay, show me how you scan. Her. I hit scan and it comes up with this message. Why is it taking so long? I'm so behind on my work and my manager's getting cranky with me. Me. The error message is insert paper into the scanner. Why aren't you putting it into the scanner? Her. No, I don't put paper into the scanner, only the printer. Me. But what's that in your hand to scan? Oh god, she can't be that dumb, can she? Her looking at her hand and it being full of paper. But I don't put paper in the scanner, just the printer. Me with a look of disbelief. Isn't that paper? Her still looking at the paper in her hand. No, I don't put paper into the scanner, only the printer. Me. Put what you want to scan into the scanner and then press the button. Her. But I've always pressed the button then put the paper into the scanner. Me. Knowing that scanners don't work that way. Okay, it's a change of process for you. Her. But I don't like change. Me. I get that, but your new scanner will only work that way. Her manager apologized and advised that my new boss had gone over this, but she didn't understand. I'd love to say this was the dumbest thing I had to put up with while I was there. However, I would be lying. I don't remember my early scanners that I used. Uh, we had some flatbeds and some regular pull-through scanners and things like that. I think I always had to have something in the scanner to let the scanner know it was loaded and ready before I could press scan, fax, copy, whatever. It needed to know that it was loaded and ready to go. I'm fairly sure this has been standard for most machines for years, but I, I don't know. This lady just wasn't getting it, I guess. Bless her heart. 
outsourcing contract causes $250,000 bill for one SQL query, or so I'm told. I joined a large Australian merchant bank that was running Big Blue, BB, DB2 Financials. I was one of the three hired contractors used to support and refine the financial management system, and I knew it real well. Knew stuff all about DB2. So I'm given the task of restructuring all the ledger queries that go through a nice clean user interface before generating the DB2 query to be executed. I can only see the query and the output, not the stats on the query I have edited and processed. Long story short, I knew it was the most specific criteria, so that had to be the first part of the query, and then of course refined down to company, department, center, etc. I was doing this in production, of course, as there was no real development or test environment available. The IT manager had signed an outsourcing contract sometime, never knew when, with BB, basically with a CPU penalty clause that racked up the charges by a huge margin if you exceeded them too often or too much. I knew nothing and wasn't warned. I don't think any user knew the implications until I came along and blew the CPU limits for days on end. They had hundreds of queries. So one day the head of finance trots on over and says, Boy, you've been busy. I said, Huh, I suppose so. He continues, you spent over $250,000 on CPU time in the last three days. What the F? He laughed and said not to worry. They were on it and to continue with my work. Turns out they knew the contract was detrimental to the company and had been anticipating such a blowout and were using it to renegotiate all the excess charges slipped in by BB. In fact, they all thought it was a great joke and kept asking me when I was going to hit the 1 million mark. I never did, I think, as I got very careful after that. Got to love those Aussies. They treat everything as a joke, as well as shorten everyone's name to one syllable. I don't know about the whole one syllable name thing, but I do know that most of the Australian people that I know or have ever dealt with do seem to have a little bit of a twisted sense of humor. Uh, it's kind of like me, you know? I could be at a funeral cracking jokes, and some of it has to do with stress. You know, one of my stress relievers is just being goofy and sarcastic and every once in a while my brain lets a one-liner slip out and yeah, my wife gets mad at me. But it's how I'm built. If somebody's saying something to me, I tend to just blurt things out. They tell me I'll be a hoot at the home when I get put there. An unexpected bill. Back in the early 90s, I was working tech support at a small research organization. While our main system was VAX, VMS, we had managed to get a fiber internet hookup through a neighboring government-owned research facility to the local university. We paid per kilobyte transferred for our bandwidth, which is how the national network was funded. We had recently shuttered an engineering team due to lack of funding, so I inherited a SunSpark system originally used for AutoCAD and finite element analysis. Trying to find a use for it and engaging in some on-the-job learning, I reinstalled Solaris and installed a Usenet server. I reached out to the university admin team and we set up NNTP peering and I subscribed to a range of news groups, adding to the list as requests from staff came in. A few months after that, I moved on. About six months later, I ran into my old boss and we got to talking. Apparently, the university had been reviewing our traffic bills and suddenly realized that we were being charged for HTTP, Gopher, Archie, SMTP, FTP, and all the typical internet traffic on a daily basis. What they were not accounting for was NNTP transport. They produced and sent him a backdated bill for about a year's worth of Usenet traffic. Boss was just lucky I hadn't subscribed any alt-binary groups on the basis that I couldn't justify it, much to certain staffers' dismay. Again, what did I just read? I mean, I guess it's sort of like, uh, 
when cell phones first came out, you know, paying by the minute instead of just paying a lump sum every month for up to a certain amount of data or cell usage. Am I anywhere close? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't start accessing the internet until like 1997, give or take. And it was pretty straightforward. I mean, it's not like we needed much and it was all dialed up anyway. So, yeah. Thumbprint. A tale. A few years ago, I get a call from a user with an issue. Their laptop screen is messed up. Can they bring it by? Sure. I'm in the office from 8 to 5. I take lunch at noon. User comes in, opens the laptop, and says there was something on the screen yesterday, so she tried to rub it off. There was a huge area of dead and distorted pixels on this laptop screen where she had taken her thumb and pressed as hard as she could on the screen to remove whatever had been on this screen. This was not a touchscreen laptop, so it didn't have the glass over the display to protect it. Fortunately, we had several dead laptops with good screens, so I was able to just swap the LCD display in about 20 minutes. Thank goodness for dull repairability on the Latitude line of laptops. Good as new. That's one thing I will say. The Dell Latitudes and the Lenovo's I've found to be very user-friendly when it comes to taking them apart. Oh, okay. With some exceptions. I got, I got one model here that I got to take the keypad out before I can take the case apart. It's, it's a little goofy, but once I learned that, it was easy. You know, I've got the little plastic pry tool and I just kind of pop, pop it off, you know, pop each tab out and I'm in. And I'm so proud of myself. I haven't broken a laptop hinge in probably four years. Pretty good record now. You've been listening to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. If you enjoy this content, be sure to follow my podcast. I upload new episodes at least three times a week.